State Representative Rochelle Walton Gray spent eight years in the Missouri House, but in just one night, she might have shaken up St. Louis County politics for the foreseeable future. The Blackjack Democrat joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. I think that is fair As to I say. say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me as my guest host for the vacationing Joe Manis, we have... Rachel Lipman. And as our special guest today, the woman that has shook up St. Louis County politics to its core, we have as our special guest... Rochelle Walton Gray. The, a state representative, a Democrat, and by January 1st, 2017, she will be the new county councilwoman for the 4th District. Welcome. This is the first time you've been on our show. We're yes. thrilled to have you on. Thank you so much. Um, just before we get into what I was talking about in the intro, we always let our first-time guests give us a sense of who they are, why they got into politics, and just their background. So just kind of give you a chance to explain to the, the people who you are. I'm uh, Rochelle Walton Gray. I'm currently the state rep of the 75th District, which is a uh, located in North St. Louis, far North St. Louis County. Um, I cover Blackjack, Jennings, Moline Acres, Dalewood, and um, unincorporated areas in between in a small part of Ferguson. Right. You're you're one of, I think, three reps that yes. have a, a, some part of Ferguson. Yes, yes. So that'll probably uh, explain why you were interested in what happened after Michael Brown's death. We'll talk about it in a minute. Mm-hmm. So you come from a politically active family. Your, your dad, Albert Walton, was in the state house for what, thir- 12, 14, 16 years or something Around like that? Around 12 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He represented, I think, a, a district in St. Louis City. Is that correct? Correct. But um, your stepmother was uh, in the House in your district from 2000 to 2008, and then you ran in 2008 to succeed her. I'm just kind of interested, like, how that family dynamic kind of got you interested in politics and and what that was like growing up, seeing your father in in office, basically. Yes, yes. Uh, Of course, uh, spent a lot of time actually uh, working my dad's law office, for Mm -hmm. one, as a, a legal administrator. So I saw a lot of, of what went on um, during election time, but of course, as his uh, as he went through his the process of being a legislator as well, spent quite a few um, uh, quite a lot of time in Jefferson City as well, uh, visiting and and yeah, it's it's a different place, and I I've always um, had some some interest, I guess I should say. Not in, not per se in politics, but in um, activism and community activism uh, was always on my student council and even in college, got on on the council there as well. So it just kind of continued on. I, I started my family though, and it, it, I didn't I wasn't as involved. Um, and uh, so my uh, when he moved to St. Louis County and didn't run anymore for and he kind of uh, posed the, the question as if I were, you know, asking if I wanted to run, but I, I had my, my children. So I decided no, and he ran his wife, and she has been was in the office prior to me, did a great job, um, Juanita Walton, and uh, she after she turned out, I 
ran, and she was very instrumental in my uh, after I won and getting me involved with a lot of organizations. Now this is this is a. This is a- going to be a recurring theme, but I think there was a primary in that election. You had to run against, what, two other people, I think? In my first election? I think it was just one. Uh, The other person could have been a... Like an also-ran candidate or something like that. Right, right, but primarily just one opponent. Yeah, but you won, I think you won pretty handily in that contest, and um, you did have another tough election in 12 when you ran against fellow incumbent uh, Sylvester Taylor after redistricting, And, and, and this is again going to become a reoccurring theme. He had the support of a lot of labor unions and well, I guess was seen as the more liberal or progressive candidate, not to say that you're not, but you still ended up winning again by, a, I think, a pretty decisive margin. Um, do you, I just got to ask, do you like running in these primaries? Is it kind of like a fun spectator <laughs> sport for you or is it kind of just like annoying or something like that? No, it's not annoying, but no, it's not fun. It's not fun. It's. When you, whenever I think back on election um, campaigning, rather, it's uh, I don't know the word to use. It's not happy thought. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of work, a lot a lot of work. I mean, I don't take it lightly. No matter who my opponent is, I work very very hard to make sure that I have a grassroots campaign and that I am part of the campaign. Uh, in two thousand eight and two thousand twelve. My canvassers never canvassed if I wasn't there. I was always there when they canvassed, or they were with me, I guess I should say. Um, and were you outspent in 12? Like as far, I, I believe it, Taylor had more money than you. About $60,000 he had. Yeah. I and, usually average 20 to 30, depending on yeah. the time of year it is. Yeah, yeah. So, so how what was it? Do you think? Um, was, obviously, when you're running against an incumbent, it's not always necessarily name recognition, and that they're both sort of recognized. What do you think, especially after that redistrict the redistricting primary in twelve, enabled you to hang on to the district despite running against somebody who was also known in the district? Um. I believe he didn't actually live in the district, oh. but his house was like across the street or something like that. But yeah. I, but yeah, I think part of his district overlapped. It was a weird situation, but continue. Yes, and, I, and of course I forgot the first part. I mean, how, what is it that you you point to kind of in, in your elections, both now for for county council and then when you would win these primaries? Um, what are what are some of the kind of the things you you say and you emphasize that you think has kept your family's oh. name in in politics mm-hmm. for this long? Well. To answer his question at first, first, at first, um, no, he didn't live in the district. He would have had to move, and no, he didn't live across the street. Even he was quite a quite a distance, maybe a couple of two, three miles from um, me, which is quite a bit when you're not um, when you're running for office. He didn't live in the district. Yeah. Um, not to get too in the weeds, but that happened a lot during redistricting, yeah, right. where somebody could run in another district they didn't live in as right, long as right. part of it was in. I think there was actually a, a lawsuit that your father spearheaded that uh, decided that. That is, a, that is a subject, though, for a whole other podcast, right. but continue. Okay, so I'll go back to, yes, um, running for that race, he was considered an incumbent. We kind of split the district. Um, for the most part, 30-30, and then I had a little bit more uh, of the 75th in that uh, 81st district, my old district, within the new district. I, uh, once again, my constituents pretty much from my first, from my original district, they know me pretty well, and they are very supportive. Um, 
when they see me out, they're happy to see me. So I just kind of, like I said, I always focus on them. I don't emphasize my opponent. I rarely mention them. Uh, and I, I don't really, when I run, I kind of get the opposite sometimes. Uh, but I just work a grassroots campaign. I didn't worry about the fact that he was considered an incumbent. I just did what I had to do to win. And um, yes, name recognition is always helpful. Yeah. It, it definitely. Um, and uh, that's something to be considered um, when I when I ran when my husband ran as well. So mm-hmm. yes, we. But we didn't focus on the name. It was me, and especially in this election. And I don't know if it's okay to go into this. Yeah, event. that was what I was going to say next. So let's. That's a perfect transition to what happened uh, just a few days ago. So I'll give our readers a or readers or listeners, depending on what you're doing, a little bit of background. So uh, Councilman Mike O'Meara has been in office for a long time. His father had, I think, been in the same seat, the fourth uh, county council district, which takes in. You know, Florissant, Hazelwood, Spanish Lake, I think Blackjack in its entirety. So a lot of North County. And what it, what has happened over the last 10 years, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that district has gotten more and more African-American as far as population. I believe it's well over 50 percent. Mm-hmm. But as is the case, say, in the 13th senatorial district, you know, it's represented by a, a white person and a white person connected to organized labor. Now, uh, in in the 13th senatorial district, Gina Walsh is the state senator. Uh, her situation's a little bit different. She ran in 2012 against Reddit Hudson, won pretty decisively. Didn't have an opponent this time around. I think, and maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong, I think has tried to have a relationship with politicians in North County. Um, O'Meara, though, had done some things that had made pretty much some people upset, which I'm sure you're going to get into. So what prompted you to run against him? Because it was you were you're terming out of the house. You, you it was kind of a risk free thing. But as I kind of just mentioned, it, it was not necessarily an easy thing to take on an incumbent, uh, especially one that was intricately connected to organized labor like this. So what prompted you to get into the race, and what were your what was your thought process? Um, my thought process primarily began with the fact that I knew I would be termed out. I thought about this a couple of years ago, actually. When, you, when you're an elected official and you really like what you do, you really you just don't want to stop. You know, just I know in two more years I will not be an elected official. And if you are in it for, the, for positive and good reasons, you want to stay in it and you want to still be able to help people and you try to figure out what can you do to stay in politics. And I, I was trying to think of... Um, I mean, when you're a state rep, it's kind of hard <laughs> to figure out where to go. And uh, but like, but for example, why didn't you run for the state senate instead of the county county council? Well, um, money. I knew that running for state senate would be even uh, more difficult uh, as far as not having the month, the funds. Um, Gina Walsh had raised a lot already, and uh, in, in her call, had a lot of money in her coffers already because she had ran. Prior before, mm-hmm. uh, prior, I'm sorry, prior to that, and then I'm sure she was accumulating because she thought she know, knew that she would have to run again, and she, so it's primarily money, and then you kind of go ahead and go along with protocol, and you know your senator's there, and you go along with protocol, and you you say, well, I'll just wait, you know, until she, if I want to run for senator, I'll wait until she turns out, mm-hmm. since we have term limits, 
So you kind of go along with protocol. So I just considered running for St. Louis County Council. Not, and I told you before, I really didn't think about the labor issue. I, I mean, of course, I, I knew he was a labor person. I didn't know he was an entrenched entrenched uh, labor member or and his family. I wasn't aware of those things. Yeah, because I just want to emphasize to our listeners, you have compiled a fairly favorable record in the legislature when it comes to organized labor. You voted against right to work. You voted against, quote unquote, paycheck protection or deception or however you want to describe it. Your husband, Alan Gray, who, by the way, happens to be in the studio with us, (laughs) is is a is a former member of a labor union. So this is not a situation where it was like an anti-labor person running against a labor person. Is that correct? Definitely not. I am not anti-labor. I'm definitely for the worker, pro worker, um, and and middle income working families. I ha- I think I have actually a hundred percent voting record with the unions. Um, did not support right to work. There was also the building and trades bill. That as African Americans we met about that bill. We met with uh, Mocan and the the Black Caucus met. We because we knew and I have to admit the the unions are not always. Uh, good to African Americans, and I definitely consider voting uh, for that bill, or, or assisting, I should say. I'm maybe not voting for it, but being a co-sponsor of that bill. Um, but in in consultation with my husband, he was actually at the meeting as well, and we decided, you know, we want to support the unions if we can, and we're we're we want to uh, we hopefully we can get them to understand that they need to include African-Americans more than they have been doing and consider our their needs, because they're the workers, their needs and their issues as well. So the, I'm actually going to play a clip from, from what you actually told me about three or four months ago, because I was asking you, basically there's been this split among African-American politicians, some African-American politicians and organized labor in St. Louis County. Since about 2014, there was a bill that came before the county council dealing with a percentage of, of work that would go to minorities and women, it kind of got wrapped up in, you know, does the, the contractor have to have an apprenticeship program? And it really caused a lot of consternation among political leaders. So I asked you how important you think it would be to bridge that gap before the general election, because it's going to be important for a lot of statewide candidates. Here's what you had to say. We need to get organized labor and African-American community needs to get together and let the community pick who they want to run for office. And then organized labor needs to get behind our candidates. And, and they, don't, they can't keep picking our candidates for our community. And we've, it's been said time and time again that the workers, the people who belong to the unions, have candidates that they support and want to run but then leadership supports someone else, right. and that's not fair. I, I thought that was a really interesting point, and I thought it would just give you a chance to kind of elaborate on that, because I think what, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but mm-hmm. I think it's part of a phenomenon in North St. Louis County politics. So w- kind of elaborate on what you told me a few months ago. Yes, one thing that happens uh, in Jefferson City, people come to our offices and they either lobby for bills or they thank us for our, for our support. So. Quite often, I get a lot of union members, uh, and mostly uh, um, some of them 
for the most part, are African-American. They send them up there, I guess. And it's probably because I'm African-American. That's what they sent to my office. That's probably what's happening. And uh, they thank me for supporting the unions. And, uh, and I have to tell them, well, I, I support you guys because, you know, it's the right thing to do, but your unions are not supporting me. And I'm not talking about money. They just don't support me. And they're surprised and shocked. And they say, well, I don't understand that. You, you've been good to us. Why don't they support you? I, I don't, you know, that's another story, another t uh, story for another time. But I don't know. And, they, and a couple of them even said to me, they need to stop doing that. We have people that we support and that support us, and they need to start letting us, meaning the union members, uh, pick our candidates, not leadership. And, uh, and I just have to agree, but I don't know, like I said, I didn't really understand the, the entrench entrenchment until more recently. Even though I had been running against union people, it wasn't as harsh, I guess I should say, as this election. It's been bad, don't, don't get me wrong. But um, I, I see now what they're talking about more so than them. But you, you have to give let the community decide who they want to represent them. And, and that's what happens, of course, when the, when the votes come in, that initially what happens. But they need to do that from the beginning. It, was there a, a particular weakness that you saw? You, you know, you talked a little bit about how you got to the process of running for county council. But was there something you saw either in the way that the county council district had changed since O'Mara took office in 2000, 2000 or just from what you had seen running for office in that area that led you to think – you could do this. That there was a, What was the in that you saw that you thought you might be able to defeat O'Mara? You know, I really didn't think about it that way. I just wanted to run. And I knew that I, I know that I'm a good candidate. I know I'm a good legislator. And I, I um, communicate well with the community. I'm always uh, with them whenever they ask me to be somewhere. So I just I felt that I could run and win. Um, Yes, the demographics uh, played into my uh, thought process that the that the not not I'm sorry not the demographics but the racial makeup had changed, and I knew that would help me to win. Um, but you also got a big you got a twenty five thousand dollar donation from Senator yeah. Maria Chappelle Nadal, mm -hmm. which I think was really important because county council races don't require like hundreds of thousands of dollars mm -hmm. for ads. They basically require basically that amount to do mailers. I saw that you, you paid a lot of volunteers, so you mm -hmm. got boots on the ground, mm -hmm. essentially. So it seemed like when that happened, that was a big deal, even though O'Mara ended up getting like $100,000 from primarily labor unions. Right. Is that, is that fair that that was kind of a game changer for you? That's what may, may, uh, caused me to make my final decision. Uh, although I had every other reason to run, I didn't have the funds. And it didn't make sense to run without the money that you need for just those basic things that you mentioned. So definitely, most definitely so. Um, when she gave me the uh, push and she said, I want to see you as an African-American woman win this election and I, I want to donate to you, that's what um, helped. Obviously, Senator Chappelle Nadal did not beat Lacey Clay. Lacey Clay won pretty decisively, but... I think she did donate to a bunch of candidates, and Rachel, you can kind of back me up on yeah, this, yeah. who ended up winning. So her legacy of that race, while she personally lost, um, 
will have consequences as, yeah. we, as we kind of met. This may kind of take this in a, in a direction where um, – not quite ready to go yet, but we've been talking about sort of Maria Chappelle Nadal's contributions to the city races. And what do you see as opportunities for cooperation between the city and the county? Now that Stanger, where there is a little bit more animosity between Steve Stanger and Mayor Slay than there was between Charlie Dooley and Mayor Slay. What are the opportunities now that Stanger has to, you know, work with the council to maybe for, for greater cooperation? What are the opportunities there? Yes, I see great uh, opportunity there. Once again, I was uh, I have great relationships with many of the city uh, elected officials. Most of us um, who live in the county now, we grew up in the city and we have a connection with those people. We don't want to just leave the city and not have any type of uh, interaction or relationship or um, commonality. And uh, yes, I think there should be more cooperation. Uh, a lot of the city officials did support me because in, as in the legislature, we try to support one another. If they need a particular leg- piece of legislation, we try to support it and vice versa, especially as African-Americans. We really need to work together um, on, on what issues we have common ground on. So I, I see that as being good. So um, to not bury the lead any further, you defeated Michael Mayer, I believe, 61% to 39%. Your husband also won his race by a pretty wide margin. Mm-hmm. What do you think caused that victory? Because I have some theories. Could be the demographics finally caught up with O'Mara. It could be his sponsorship of the, the renter's bill that caused some controversy. Could just be that, you know, sometimes when someone's in there for a while and a viable challenger you know, goes up against them, people vote for change. Those are some of my theories. What are what, what do you think was behind your victory? You know, I, I really was surprised about the margin. I did not expect that. So I, I really, I don't know. But um, although he had been there for so long, six, 16 years, I think it was. Yep, 16. Um, people just didn't know he who he was. He just did not have that connection. I mean, maybe where he lived, I guess they knew him more so or had a better connection. Uh, one of the state reps said he was a good uh, county uh, council person, but where I live in the, in the district I represent, because like you said, there was redistricting, so I used to represent another area. So if you add that to what I have now, I represented probably half of that district at a time. So my name was known, and they actually the district that I lost, which which was uh, well the part of the district that I lost through redistricting, were some of my best constituents. They contacted me often. They um, supported me a lot, and I think that helped. That I had also had represented half of the district, and they saw me more. They were more they. They had a better connection, I guess is the word, with me than they did with Mr. O'Mara. Um, and they just felt that he was not accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people just said, I just cannot reach my county council person. As you, something that was mentioned in another uh, interview that I had is a lot of um, the county is unincorporated. Mm-hmm. So they had no one else to go to, they had no city council person. They only had his office or the county council or the county executive's office to reach out to. And when you're not getting any assistance, and you can't solve everyone's problem, and I don't want to 
make anyone think that that's my intention to solve everyone's problem because that's impossible. But I will very much be accessible. You you will be able to reach me, and I will contact you back and someone from my office. We will do the best that we can. Mm -hmm. But when you feel like you're not getting any access, that's disheartening. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the impact going further and why I think your win is so important. Um, so I follow county council dynamics pretty closely. And even though it's a five to two majority for the, the Democrats, it's kind of deceiving because oftentimes, as we saw during the Charlie Dooley administration, when a block of those Democrats no longer support the county executive and they join with the two Republicans, you can't do anything on the council anymore. That, I think, is one of the many reasons why Charlie Dooley lost reelection is that he couldn't push things through the council anymore and had more and more contentious council meetings, among other things. Mm -hmm. When Steve Stenger became county executive, he basically had a de facto six to one majority on the council because the two Republicans, Colleen Wassinger and Mark Harder, often joined with O'Mara, um, the uh, Kevin O'Leary, uh, Dolan and Page to vote on on most things. The odd person out usually was Hazel Irby, who is a councilwoman from University City. As time went on, the two Republicans often voted against Stenger with Irby. So it became four to three as time went on. So the fact that O'Meara is gone now and has been replaced by somebody who I would not class, I would not classify you as an ally of Steve Stanger <laughs> at all. Um, he, he no longer has a functioning majority on that council for controversial things. Mm -hmm. And that's going to make his life a lot more difficult if he wants to put something that's controversial. I, I say controversial because most things pass through the council unanimously. But when you're talking about big policy changes that upset some people, it divides a little bit more. So that's my backdrop. Mm -hmm. um, what do you see going forward is going to be the reality for Steve Stanger once you join the council? Well, definitely would not um, support things that don't, don't help our community, which is North St. Louis County, and then, of course, the entire county as well. But um, I don't want to be too antagonistic towards Stinger, but um, I will support my community at all times. Uh, the minority contract bill, you know, that supports my community. That bill was good for my community. The rental landlord tenant bill was not good for my community. And that's where I, my uh, allegiance lies. It's not with Stinger and it's not with anyone else. It's with my constituents. And whatever they want me to do or ask me to do, that's what I would try to do. Are there issues where you hope that now that there is this new four to th sort of four to three split? I don't think neither Jason or I is implying that you're automatically going to vote against staying or just simply to be mm -hmm. antagonistic, as exactly. you put it. But what issues would you like to see him now that there is more need for a negotiation to come to the table on? Where would you like him to say, hey, let's let's talk about this rather than just maybe saying I'm going to put this through because I can? Uh, definitely the minority contract bill. That was very important to us. Um, I actually got support from small businesses because they recognized that that's where they start. They were they're small businesses, uh, and they started even smaller, and they realized that they want they needed to support their minority uh, small businesses as well. And I got a lot of support from them coming to me, letting me know that what happened that day, which I wasn't there, of course, was a travesty. Uh, 
when that bill didn't pass and uh, and the vote that occurred that day. And what I see, too, is maybe not that this four-person block, if they can stay together on the issue, is going to defeat Stanger's initiatives. It basically is leverage for him mm-hmm. to come to the table. Uh, if right. you have a problem with right. something, or if Hazel Irby has a problem with something, or if Omer, or if if, uh, if uh, Harder Wassinger. or Wassinger have a problem with something, and you can get four votes to defeat it, you basically can go to him and say, you got to change it, or we're going to basically vote it down. Is that basically what you think could happen from now on? Yes. And being in a legislator, I know I understand that process. Uh, when I first got there, we were not in a super minority. We were just in the minority. We got a lot more done. They had to work with the Republicans, had to work with the Democrats. We had to uh, discuss things. We had to hash things out. The only time I saw that happen when we became the super minority was in the with the education transfer bill. That was a only time we sat down, two groups of people, and had to work it out. So, yes, if it's close like this, most of the times you will have to sit down with all concerned parties and determine how you can come to a, a, a agreement. So I totally understand their process, and I, I know how that would work. I do want to just ask, what is kind of your relationship with Hazel Irby? Because, you know, she's her own political uh, she's her own political woman, so to speak. You're your own person. Mm-hmm. Do, do you guys have a good relationship, or what's kind of your relationship like? Because that could be crucial to if you can do this four-person block that I mentioned. Yes, we do. We have a good relationship. Um, she's actually been... Uh, friend of the family prior to her election. Um, she was part of a, um, she was part of our team, I guess you could say, and we worked together. I wasn't running for office then, but I was uh, part of the, the uh, campaign teams at that time, and we helped her get elected. So we have a good relationship. We kept it, especially because we both uh, are in uh, this area, so we see each other from time to time. And of course, our relationship has um over, since she ran for, when Dooley ran for office the last time and she ran, we um, became a little bit, her relationship grew a little more and it's, it's growing more and more with my running. I, I just mentioned that because she and O'Mara did not really get along very much. And I think that she was pretty happy with the result on Tuesday. In the legislature, you sponsored a lot of bills kind of dealing with the aftermath of the Michael Brown shooting, trying to impart training on law enforcement, um, I think I remember you you sponsored like literally several dozen bills. You were one of the more prolific bill sponsors on that. You, I'm sure, were very frustrated when many of those bills didn't get hearings, let alone get serious consideration. And, you know, that might have been because you're in the super minority, that they wanted to mm-hmm. focus on like Senate Bill 5 <laughs> rather than anything else. So now you're coming into this St. Louis County, the epicenter of where Ferguson happened. And I don't know if there really has been a lot of policymaking on that level about how to move forward after Michael Brown's shooting death. With your expertise in the legislature and your experience and the fact that you are going to be in a position where you're not outnumbered anymore, is that an issue that you think you'll 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 dive pretty deeply into and try to effectuate policy change on a county level? Most definitely. Um, right. You were right. It was difficult to do anything. Uh uh, for various reasons, and we won't go into all that, like you said. Be- uh, but um, I had a lot of bills that was were not like anti-police uh, bills or anti-law enforcement bills, but they were just legislation to 
try to uh, heal our community and build better relationships and bridge the gap between law enforcement and uh, our young people. And uh, so there was some what I call community-based policing bills, just to just to get uh, more uh, police officers, um, uh, foot patrol, and patrol the communities and, and get to know the people who live there. So, uh, a lot of our police officers just don't live where they work. And, I mean, good or bad, they should at least attempt while they are there to get to know the people that they have to uh, protect. Um, have municipal court reform bills that was actually filed prior to the Michael Brown incident, knowing, with having my knowledge of the issues that uh, occur when people are getting traffic tickets and cannot pay their fines and having warrants issued. But from what I understand, you were skeptical of the final outcomes of those bills because they exactly. ended up, there There was that dual cap that St. Louis County had 12.5% and the rest of the state had 20%, mm-hmm. among other things. Is that correct? I was. I, I um, didn't appreciate the, the differential that was made on, on that uh, cap. Uh, because you don't punish everybody for what a few people did or a few, you know. Cities did, yeah. Cities did. But I knew, I know that uh, my constituents were probably happy, but you don't want to bankrupt your, your city and uh, that would make it even worse on you. So they just need, there just needed to be some reform uh, done on, at these courts and cities uh, uh, with regard to traffic violations. So. My, my last question for you, and this was the question I was trying to think of before. So I think this will be the first time two African-Americans have been on the council at the same time. So that means two out of seven will have representation as opposed to just being the Hazel Irvy seat mm-hmm. or the Charlie Dooley seat. Mm-hmm. What do you think that's going to mean for the African-American community in St. Louis County, which is 25 percent of the population? but oftentimes just didn't have a lot of representation on the council. Even when Hazel Irby was there with the Stanger situation, she was often kind of the voice in the wilderness as opposed to somebody who could actually, you know, effectuate policy change. What do you think that means for the council, that it's getting more diverse racially? Oh, it means a lot. Um, We're finally, as they say, have a seat at the table. Uh, Our... My constituents, her constituents, will be well represented. Um, both of us have done, I think, pretty good jobs at uh, representing our community so far. And especially, on, on, I can speak for myself, of course, I especially uh, intend to continue what I've tried to do, but hopefully can now actually have some impact on my community. Uh, and once again, I, I just like for them to let me know what they need. Let me know what you what you need because I've been at the state level, and not as as fun, didn't function as much on the local level. But let me know, and uh, we'll work with Hazel and whoever else I can to see what we can do to change some things. Some things are are not changeable. Some things are just annoyances that can't be changed, but some things can uh, uh, are possible. Well, we look forward to you taking your seat after January. January 1st, 2017, I think, is when you get inaugurated. Mm-hmm. It's going to certainly make the council meetings a little bit more interesting for the media to cover, especially when something that requires some negotiation comes before us. Thank you very much for coming on such short notice. I know that 
you and your husband deserve a well-deserved rest after Election Day. Uh, for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at jrosenbaum. Follow Rachel on Twitter at R Lipman, two P's and two N's. I know that I don't think you're on Twitter, but is there any no. is any way to get a hold of you, like a website or Facebook or anything like that? Yes, I have a website. Vote the number four. Rochelle Gray is my website and Facebook page, of course. And e- I guess email if you want to catch me, email me. Yeah. But uh, all of that is on the website, all of that information. Very good. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long. When I-